looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I am your host, Dante Belmonte. Today's guest is Camillo Spinoso from Spinoso Real Estate Group over in Syracuse, New York. Camillo and I go way back about 10, 12 years through our church, um, how we originally met. Camillo is in the enclosed mall space. So something I always thought, and I'm sure you guys thought as well, is malls were a dying breed. You're seeing malls shut down left and right, JCPenney's, Macy's, uh, Bontons, all those places shutting down. But maybe this episode will change your outlook on that. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Stop by Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review, as it does help out the show. Enjoy the episode. All righty. Camillo, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Doing good, Dante. Doing doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for coming on this evening. So Camillo and I, we go way, way back. I mean, I don't even know how many years, man. It's got to be over 10 years, I would want to say. Yeah, Um, we were like 10 or 11, I think, when we first met, right? Somewhere in there? Yeah, back back at uh, Sunday Church. So (laughs) I... Camilla and I have both fallen into the commercial real estate realm. And uh, Camilla, your family has the company Spinoza Real Estate Group. Is that correct? Yep. Awesome. So why don't you uh, go ahead, tell us a little bit about um, your company you guys have there and what you're doing at your company. Of course. Yeah. No, first off, Dante, just thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Our, co- our family company is Spinoza Real Estate Group. Um, we actually celebrated our 10-year anniversary in 2020. Congrats, uh, that's awesome. And one, of the, one of the bright things, right? And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we uh, pride ourselves at being, you know, the enclosed mall specialists. We're really one of the only boutique mall, enclosed mall operating platforms that there are out there. Um, and we basically focus on either redevelopment, repositioning, or stabilizing enclosed malls that have seen a decreased NOI or just losing its way with the community, so on and so forth. And we're hired by clients to basically maximize and add value to a property. Awesome. I love that. That's awesome. So you guys have been in business for 10 years now. That's great. Um, I can't imagine just because your age, you've been involved for the, all those 10 years, about how long ago did you really start to intensely get involved and what is your current position there that you're kind of overseeing? I, I know you travel a lot. I see you're doing stuff online all over with the company. I love that. Awesome. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I've been pretty involved, you know, just even from inception, believe it or not. So um, my father, Carbon Spinoza, was obviously the one that started the company, um, he formerly ran uh, the Pyramid Companies, which is located in Syracuse. They're one of the largest private um, mall developers left, um, owning a portfolio in New York and then in Massachusetts. And I can remember going to leasing meetings since I was, you know, I think five or six years old when I made my first like Boy Scout pitch to sell my cookies to basically the whole leasing department. Uh, but so... I've been really involved in the industry. always knew I wanted to get into real estate. Um, was really heavily involved um, 
in my own personal life in baseball. So had a focus on that while really the company was starting, but then as of late have just been, you know, dove headfirst into it. So what I currently do now is I handle permanent leasing for our West Coast properties, as well as I also do business development. Um, so like my official title is leasing and business development. One, I do all the permanent leasing for our West Coast properties. And then two, you know, helping pitch for new business, putting together all the materials, doing market research on new assets we're looking at, doing, you know, health ratio and, and tenant analysis on the current rent rules, a whole slew of different things. Um, I've been very fortunate to be brought into a lot of that stuff at a young age, um, but it's been really good. I love it. I, I don't love know if it. that all. It's, it's hard to put the leasing side of it. It's, it's pretty cut and dry. Like I, I do permanent leasing for specific properties, the business development side, it's, who knows what I'm doing on a, on a day-to-day right, it's a plethora of things you're really doing. It's covering a, a pretty broad area. Um, exactly. One of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on the show is because you reached out on LinkedIn. We were messaging and just kind of catching up. And then we hopped on a phone call and I was just amazed to hear what you were doing. And something I found really unique was what you guys were doing within closed malls. I've had a lot of guests on here from all over the country, you know, well-known, not well-known doing syndication, larger apartment buildings, self-storage but no one has mentioned anything about malls. That's what I find really cool. So first off, set the stage for what we're looking at in the market right now with malls. Obviously, a lot of people are saying, oh, strip malls and malls are dying. Da, da, da. But tell us your side on that, what you've been seeing. 100%. I mean, it's, our company was actually formed for this time period, essentially. Um, we anticipated a, a huge... Uh, CMBS 2.0, we call it a huge crash. Um, and a lot of the bonds that are backed by these malls just due to a lot of different factors. And we were poised and, and set up to really take advantage of it. Um, you look at the headline news and it's malls are dying, retail's dead, brick and mortar is going away, Amazon rules the world. Mm-hmm. And really, that's just a, a misconception of actually what is going on in our industry. Um, it, it truthfully is not to uh, not to bring politics in anything, but you know, Trump, Donald Trump says fake news. It's it's kind of as similarly for our industry. It's fake news. Malls are actually not dying. It's that bad malls are dying, right? So, mm-hmm. what is going on right now is a massive reset in our industry, and we're really just trying to capitalize on that. And I'm more than happy to touch on specifics as to why. You know, we say that and I have specific examples and a case study of, you know, what we go out to market with and say, hey, here's proof that malls can succeed. It just needs to evolve. Okay. Yeah. Definitely touch on one of those scenarios then, because I'm sure people that are listening are like, okay, well, I'm under the assumption that strip malls are dying. Malls are dying. Amazon's taking over the market. I mean, everywhere you look, you hear about that Amazon hitting, you know, top cap um, capacities as far as what their ownership is at. Talk to us a little bit more on that. Give us an example. Oh, yeah, of course. So I think there's there's two main examples. One is just more so a, a kind of just a generalization about like Amazon going, everything going online. And then two is our own kind of personal case study. So to hit on like that, you know, Amazon's taking over the world. Amazon, obviously a fantastic company. They're doing a lot of great things. They do have their Amazon marketplace, which is, um, you know, what everyone says is going to be the death of brick and mortar. 
Um, but what's really interesting and, and what people don't necessarily you know, understand because it's such a nuance is that all of retail spending, we'll call it however many billions of dollars it is, it's probably even trillions at this point. There's always been about 10 to 15% of that that's been outside of brick and mortar. So typically, um, 85% of that being done you know, in person, physically. The other 15% has always been there in the form of you know, telemarketing. That was big back in, I don't know what the years were for that, but then also like catalog business. That was their Macy's, Sears. They all had their right. online, their catalogs they'd mail out to. You'd basically fill it out. You'd buy things there and they'd ship it to you. So mm-hmm. that's actually always been in place. It's just that you know the internet has grown at a tremendous rate, but it is kind of stabilizing off in its growth to really that 10 to 15%. Um, what you can never replace is that physical experience. Right. And I'm sure Dante, you've probably also had, you know, similar stories that everyone has where you buy a shirt online. It doesn't fit well. You send it back and then you go get a different size. You really, you don't know what you're buying cause you can't try it on. Right now right. what's happening on the other side of that. What with the company that's going through this, they're losing money on just shipping it to you as fast as they can. Then you return it. They have that shipping return cost. Then they have to restock it or they can't even like resell it. And they're losing a ton of money online because like the actual like economics of it, it's it's unsustainable realistically. Um, It's also bad for the environment with all of, you know, more trucks on the, on the roads and deliveries and stuff like that, adding the pollution versus, you know, on your physical store plate, you go in, you buy it, you're good, you're done. You know exactly what you're getting. Yep. Um, so that's kind of our theory is that although it is there, it can only grow so much. And at the end of the day, the physical experience will never go away. I don't know if that makes any sense or if that can Yeah. Happen. When we were talking on the phone, you made a really good point. You said humans need human interaction. And COVID-19 is a perfect example of that. You said, you said people were getting tired of being at home. They're getting tired of not being able to go out, see other people, go to restaurants and, and shop in person. And that's why you said as soon as malls started opening up after COVID, they were flooded. Like there was a lot of people at the malls and people were surprised. It's because people need human interaction, you know, touch, feel, see, you know, whatever that is, they just need to be out and about. They can't just be trapped at home. So that was a great point you made when we were speaking on the phone. 100%. And and really COVID-19, although it was a terrible, it was a national or international pandemic, you know, deaths and it was a terrible experience, but what it actually did do and what we say is it proved that brick and mortar is here to stay. Now, now why do we say that? Because if there was ever a reason or a time period for brick and mortar to truly go away and switch to completely online, COVID was the perfect time period to do so. Right. Just wipe it off the face of the earth. Yeah. Exactly. That's not what happened. You saw places start opening back up. I mean, Dante, how many times did you have a, a phone conversation with someone during like the middle of like everything being shut down? They said, I can't wait to go back out and see oh, people. I can't wait to too many to count. Yeah, exactly. So it, it proved really in the thesis. Um, and when things started opening back up, COVID-19 is still around. There's no vaccine currently. And we opened up back around June 1st, pretty much across the country. And in that time period, think about it, you are technically risking one your own health and to the health of others, but yet you still saw lines out the door for these places. 
because people said, you know, I'm still going to go shop. Like I, I'm risking oh, yeah. my health to do so, but I'm still going to do it. So that really to us proved that, um, that brick and mortar is really here to stay. I think. I remember time. driving by Marshall's for the first day it was opening up, man. I kid you not. People were lined up down the entire strip mall. They had signs that said, I heart Marshall's like, it was, it was just, I, I can't make this up. I think I tried taking a video, but I was driving by too quick. I mean, literally hundreds of people on the sidewalk in the middle of June, just with signs saying how much they love Marshall's. I thought that was just very funny. But again, that human interaction, they want to be at the stores and online presence doesn't always make that happen. Um, I know for me personally, I hate shopping for clothing, shoes or anything online, even if it's a great deal. I'm still not sure it's going to fit my ever-changing body here and uh, <laughs> and if I'm actually going to like how it looks on me, in all honesty. So that was a great point. Exactly. 100%. Look at what happened with uh, in our hometown in, in Syracuse, the uh, the Pizza Free or Pizza Villa or whatever. Oh, my um, gosh. The, so for Thousands all, for, of cars. <laughs> thousands. For the viewers who, who aren't familiar with the, with the case is that essentially what happened, there's the New York State Fair that happened in Syracuse, New York every, you know, some, end of summer. And there's this one um, stand, we'll this, say. This one stand, yeah, this one stand that essentially sells – they take dough, they roll it up, they fry it, and they sell it for a couple bucks, right? Yep. They ended up doing a food truck at like this massive parking lot during the middle of COVID and said, we're doing a food truck for pizza streets, we're doing social distancing, blah, blah, blah. Come out and buy it. There was thousands of cars lined up. waiting up streets, miles away. Yeah. Miles away, waiting hours for a piece of fried dough that you, I could have went to the store and made for 10 cents on the dollar. just going to say, not, but it's the experience. It's exactly, it's the experience. Everyone needed it to be on their Instagram. Everyone needed to go say they could, they did it and they yep. needed to just do something. And that right, that alone just really proves that we actually use that in some of our business meetings to say like, look, here's a literal example of just people needing experience. And look at all of these cars, essentially. So Right. I mean, that's what we said here. You know, I'm sitting here with my wife. I'm like, this is ridiculous. We can go buy this for, you know, two, three dollars at the store, make it right here. But I'm still ready to go. You want to hop in the car? Well, let's do this. You know, it's just one of those things. Now, I don't know how much you can say. What are you guys currently doing to these malls that you're, you know, taking over, managing, that you're bringing up the NOI, you're bringing up the, the income for the property, the leases? And just making it in better shape than it is? Oh, 100%. Great question. And, and it kind of goes to that second piece that unfortunately we got got a little, you know, sidetracked and on telling some stories about COVID related stuff. But um, the show's about, man. We got exactly. a limited time. <laughs> I love it. So um, the the test case and really our case study that we always use is, is the first mall that we ever purchased. And it's a mall called, it was formerly the Violinda Mall excuse me, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And we have since renamed it to Santa Fe Place. But we bought this asset back in 2015. Um, and we bought it and it was 70% vacant when we bought it. Wow. It, it was really decrepit. It was tired. It was lost its touch with the community. No one ever wanted to shop there. There was like no stores. It was obviously, like I said, Jumping 70% vacant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Um, I mean, re- really very similar. Um, but we bought this asset because we did a lot of research into the market and we found that Santa Fe, New Mexico is the state capital. It, this mall was actually located on the best piece of dirt right on Maine and Maine. 
Santa Fe as a trade area was a pretty solid trade area, smaller market, not not a you know major metro by any means, but it had a huge benefit from tourism. There was actually 4.28 million annual tourists that generated about $771 million of tourist spend every year. Um, there's downtown Santa Fe, which is like super artsy, really cool. And then to the south of the market where the mall is, is right on kind of that main retail drag. Like I said, main and main, Cerritos and uh, Rodeo is actually the cross section. And we saw that this mall could be successful. It just, you know, was neglected and no one really, you know, gave it the time or attention it needed. And better yet, when we were looking at purchasing it, we fortunately, you know, my father and and the hand-selected team that we have here um, all have, you know, years and years of of industry experience. Uh, My father alone has 30. um, And he has a lot of good relationships with all the national tenants. So we called up the people that were in the market and he said, hey, just, you know, out of curiosity, we're thinking about buying the mall. How How do you guys perform here? Um, and the response time and time again was we perform extremely well in Santa Fe. We're actually just undersized. We would love to have more space. So, you know, all those different factors led us to believe that we could do a complete transformation of this property and bring it back to life again. So we purchased it at 70% vacant. We actually deleased it down to 90% vacant to do the things we wanted to do and signed 23 new deals within the first year. A combination of existing nationals in the market. We did Bed Bath Beyond, Cost Plus World Market, H&M, or excuse me, not H&M, they um, weren't in the market, but we did a Hobby Lobby, a Regal Cinema that was in the market, an Outback Steakhouse that was in the market. They closed and moved over to our site, did new deals with Skechers, Forever 21, H&M, Rad Retro Cage, Shoe Department, Bath and Body, Vicky's, and so real all quick, these, all these yeah, stores you said they closed their locations and moved into your mall, correct? So the first wave of stores closed and moved. Okay, to our the mall first wave in the market. The second wave was all new to market. They, they weren't in Santa Fe, and we got them to get interested in the market and then get interested in our site and do their first location in the market. So how were you able to incentivize these folks to close their doors at their locations, wherever they were freestanding or, you know, on a strip and come into your guys mall? Was there anything special you had to do or is it really just, they wanted to be all together so it could be more foot traffic? Um, I mean, you know, it's not as sexy as it sounds. There's a lot of business arguments you have to make and basically just lay out the, the business case to why it makes sense to do that at the end of the day. So for example, Outback Steakhouse, they actually owned their own building, hmm. owned it, across the street. They closed it and moved to our site. Now, why did they do that? We had an Applebee's on our ring room that did crazy volumes. And the Outback Steakhouse, that building they owned, was, you know, a super, it was undersized, one. Two, it was like a extremely old building. They needed, you know, a refresh and a remodel. Actually, complete exactly. Yeah, it looked like an out or a, an Outback Steakhouse from like 1980. It was like <laughs> the a original deep, Outback. <laughs> literally, it was the it was like the original Outback. So we had a perfect pad location right outside of the mall, um, and we convinced them, "Hey, close your doors, come over here, build your brand new prototype." and really maximize on the business you're missing. So for example, they weren't mm. serving lunch at their old location because it was 
you know, undersized and it just didn't make sense for them economically. Closed over there, moved to our site. Now they're open for lunch. They have like this really cool like garage door that has like an outdoor bar and it's beautiful. And they're absolutely crushing it doing like, I think it's almost like one in a, one and a half to two X of what they were doing across the street that their sales increased like, you know, a million and a half bucks or whatever. Wow. Awesome. So that's like one example, but essentially what we did was we got all these deals done. And then this also kind of touches back into really, you know, how we, you know, operate as a company is that we wanted to connect our mall with the community because it never really was. Um, So this mall in particular was bought and sold five different times over the course of, 12 years so basically every other year it was bought and sold bought and sold switching hands yeah i was trading exactly and every single time and it wasn't just trading as a single asset it was trading as a package of assets so people were buying a package of malls just for the the cash flow and just sucking it out um we bought it on the other hand and it will back to people buying it was trading every time it was bought the new owner would come out and say hey we bought the mall we're going to do all these big things Right. But then nothing would happen and actually get worse and then would sell again. <laughs> New owner. Hey, we bought the mall. We're going to do all these great things. Nothing happened. It sells again. What we did is we took a, a completely different approach. We bought the mall and we didn't say a word. Got all these new deals done. But as you can imagine, you don't sign a lease and then you're open the next day in, in the commercial space. You right. have to build it out. You know, build so fit, yeah. Exactly. So what what we did was we actually were spending our own money. We spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars in capital improvements to the center because it was old and decrepit. Um, and then what we did is we signed all these leases and we wanted to say, let's prove that through our marketing and, you know, connecting this with the community that we can pack this mall with no new, new deals done. And all people will see are like banners all across the walls, like new deal. New I think I know where you're going with this, but I'll let you take it. Go ahead. Exactly. And what I'll do too, Dante, I'll send you the link to our website that has this case study. It's, it's great. Um, but what happened was my dad went to our head of marketing and he said, hey, I want you to fill this mall with people through our marketing efforts. I don't want you to do it on a weekend because that's too easy, especially not on a holiday because that'd be easier. Um, and I want you to do it in the middle of the week. I want you to pack this mall with people. And all they're going to see is these coming soon signs. So our marketing director said, okay, great. Like, love the challenge. And my dad goes, oh, by the way, you have no budget. Like, I want to see if you can do this with no money. He's like, better. Challenge accepted. (laughs) So we put together this thing called Midweek Madness. It was a combination of 24 different activations over the course of a Wednesday and a Thursday. And we packed this mall with people. I mean, we did, you know, the local Zumba studio did yoga or Zumba classes in our food hall we, or food court at the time, excuse me. We did like the Little League team came and did their local signups. We had like, we found out there was this radio station giving away sold out Chance the Rapper um, tickets to a concert. We said, hey, why don't you come do the signups in person at our mall? Um, they have to come up and sign or come to the mall in person, sign and have that chance to win. They did it all these different things impacted it and the community just saw like new store coming soon, new store coming soon. It was incredible. And that's hmm. just the perfect example of if we can take a mall that's 70 or 90% vacant at the time, because people were starting to build um, and pack it with people through our marketing efforts, we can pack any mall in the country. Um, 
And now the mall, after kind of those 23 new deals, all the other ones we've done is pretty much up to 90% occupied. And That's it's great. cranking. It's really reconnected with the community. All right. Tell me about Mark, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. I've, I've seen the photos. I've been on the site. I've seen the Instagram. What mall were we talking about? What was the marketing effort here? I saw you and your dad and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, actually, uh, I have a picture over, over here in my office. I know this is going to be audio only, but um, that's another great story. And that's just one about um, really determination and having a very thought out and formulated business argument. So essentially, um, we had a property. It's called Genesee Valley Center in Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan has been, you know, in a lot of negative news headlines in the last few years due to the water crisis that went on there. But we happened to own the mall there. And, excuse me, we did a lot of good leasing there. It was great. Everything's going well. But what we said was, what is one key, excuse me, man, I had a a little hiccup there. But um, what's one key deal that we could do at this center that would be completely transformational. And in one of our, our morning leasing meetings, someone goes, let's do a Wahlburgers deal. I saw them in Detroit. And everyone's like, no way, no way they're going to Flint, Michigan. But my dad loved it and we ran with it. We said, there's kind of this cool outdoor village area and there's this corner restaurant space that if we did a Wahlburgers deal, we'd change the property. So as you can imagine, we're reaching out to Mark Wahlberg and Wahlbergers um, to get them to do a location in Flint, Michigan, while they're doing locations in Las Vegas, New York City, Detroit, like all these massive markets. Why would they ever go to Flint, Michigan? Turns out when there was the Flint uh, water crisis, Mark Wahlberg was one of the celebrities who donated a lot of water to the city of Flint to help them out. And he has like this really cool story of, you know, hardworking America and, and really good stuff. So we ended up calling him, calling him, calling him, finally get their broker on the phone. Hey, we wanted you guys to do a location in Flint. No. Okay. Keep making the pitch. Keep making the pitch. Finally, it turns out, I think we called them every day for like months. Finally, my dad goes, let me call up Mark Wahlberg myself. Finally, we somehow got his number and calls him up. He's like, hey, Mark, it's Carmen Spinoza. Like, love to do a deal. He's like, you know what? Come fly out to my house. My dad's like, okay. So him, our director of leasing, and then the leasing rep on that assignment, fly out to Mark Wahlberg's house. They're in his, in his house and like his personal office. They're, my dad's like pitching him on why he should go to Flint. And Mark's like, I love it. Let's do it. So after, wow. you know, months and months of trying to get him to do it, he finally committed. Um, in his own office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> his home office. It was it was a great story. And I can definitely say about Mark Wahlberg is he's one of the greatest guys ever. Down to earth, super nice, really good family man. Um, but we got a lease signed and there was a grand opening um, at the mall. But one of the deal points was, Mark, you got to come to the grand opening event because we want to mm. maximize the marketing efforts. Right, right. And right. we did just that. I mean, thousands of people turned out. We had like this whole marketing initiative we rolled out for it. It was fantastic and it's been thriving ever since. Wow. I love it. That's great. I, like I said, I had to bring that up because who wouldn't want to hear about that story? That's great. I mean, who, who gets to go to Mark Wahlberg's house and make a deal with them in his own office? I love that. <laughs> it was, it was insane. Oh yeah. So niching down a little bit more local to where we are. So to set the stage for the listeners that aren't from Syracuse and don't understand what we're talking about here, 
is there's three local malls typically. There's Shopping Town, there's Great Northern, and there's Destiny. Shopping Town and Great Northern are two of the lesser malls, and they're run down. They only have a few tenants, if if not in the, you know in the single digits. And Destiny USA is one of the larger malls in the country. Camilla, can you tell me roughly what rank Destiny has in the whole country as far as size goes? So size-wise, I think Destiny is the fifth or sixth largest mall in the country. Okay. So wonderful. So fifth largest mall in the country. We've got it right here in Syracuse, New York, population of 150,000. Crazy, right? So shopping town, don't know how much you could say about this because you probably know a little bit more than I do. They just served all their tenants uh, notices because they're month to month. So they, mm-hmm. I think they had two tenants left. They served them notices. My wife came up with a great idea. That place is so run down. There's now zero tenants in it. They're behind on taxes. Make it an Ikea. There's not like an Ikea anywhere near here. So that was something she said that I thought was pretty smart. Um, And then Great Northern. So this is what I found interesting as well. My partner and I were buying a self-storage facility across the street from Great Northern. And Mm -hmm. after doing our market research, seeing supply, demand, square foot per capita, um, we have a program that tells us who's developing or building storage. So I saw a little dot on the back of the mall and come to find out after going, sneaking into the mall, getting kicked out by security, they're building 75,000 <laughs> square feet of self-storage inside the mall. So, oh, wow. yeah, so n- not a lot of people knew that. So I found that very interesting that they're gutting the whole place, new roof, new HVAC, new parking lot, fencing, and all climate controlled storage. So are you guys, and I mentioned all this because I ask, are you guys seeing some malls in different areas kind of change the usage of the mall itself instead of having tenants and stores change it? to a totally different kind of commercial. Mm-hmm. And that's a phenomenal example and, and question, Dante. It's it's really interesting. So Syracuse is actually the perfect example. And it's funny that, that we're from here is that Syracuse, New York, like you said, population of whatever, it's not a, a massive city by any means. At one point in time, believe it or not, it had six malls. Six. Wow. I, oh, that's right. Pencan too, correct. And a few others. Yep. Yep, exactly. And what happened was um, back in like the start of our industry, there was there was this massive boom of, of building and development. And people found out that they could go basically build a mall for $100 million and then retire that loan based off the NOI for like $150 million and, and walk away with $50 million bucks. It was, it was crazy. So these guys were building, building, building. And yes, America did get a little overbuilt you know, with malls, like realistically, Syracuse, New York does not need six malls. No, it doesn't. <laughs> believe it or not, it's crazy. <laughs> but, um, but essentially what's happened since then is um, Pencan Mall, I believe got turned in, is the Pencan was Driver's Village. Driver's Village, yep. Yep. And then uh, there was a mall in Fayetteville that got demalled. Now it's like a power grocery anchored strip center with Target, a couple others. Uh, um, yep. Yep. And then I, I can't remember the other one off the top of my head right now. I was looking at too many malls today, but um, essentially now there's three left and Destiny USA is an absolute powerhouse in the respect that they just went through expansion and it, it's great. Um, Syracuse, New York does not need those other two malls. Like it doesn't need shopping town and it doesn't need great Northern. So yes, you are going to see malls, um, some malls, dying malls that are to the point where it wouldn't make any sense for um, a company like ourselves to go in and pour, you know, an absurd amount of money too far gone. And they're out positioned with the competition that's currently there. 
Um, and those are going to turn into a lot of different uses, whether it's an Ikea, like you said, or stealth storage, or even potentially an Amazon distribution center, which um, would be another interesting use. Yep. But there's still a bunch of malls out there, which is what we're really targeting, like a Destiny USA that is well-located in the market. It is proven to be a surviving mall. Like It's never going to go away. Yes, has it faced store closures with some of these national retailers and these bankruptcies we've seen? Yes. But what is going to happen? We're just going to have to do our jobs to then go out and find these new and expanding concepts because they're out there. Think about the Warby Parkers of the world, the Untuckets, you know, some of these guys that realize they need a brick and mortar presence. We have to go find them and fill that mall. Um, and really the whole point of me going through this is that you are going to see some of these malls basically turn into these alternative type uses, whether it's like you said, Ikea, self-storage, but that just doesn't mean, that doesn't mean the mall itself is a dying concept. Malls, like I said at the beginning of the show, it's not that malls are dying, it's that bad malls are dying. The other ones are good and they're going to be here to stay. They just need to, exactly. Like Syracuse, New York people will still go to Destiny, whether it's properly managed or leased up, um, you know, we'll see. But if done so correctly, it's going to survive as a mall because it can capture the whole market. No doubt, no doubt about it. Like you go, you look online, malls are dying. You see these vacant malls. Well, those ones were, those ones are going to die, but the ones that are going to survive, they'll survive and, and they will do well. That makes sense. It, it does. So let's use Destiny for an example. And I know sometimes with with certain topics, there's only so much you could say. What is Destiny lacking? Let's say Destiny is something that your your company, Spinoza Real Estate, would target. What is there that it's lacking that you guys would be able to implement a little bit better? And it could be absolutely nothing. I don't know if it's something you guys would target. Um, great question. So I won't use Destiny as the example, but okay. I'll, I'll just use malls in general, like. It's really such a case-by-case basis, Dante, that um, there's no one you know, broad stroke that will fit everything. At the end of the day, realistically, you have to figure out what that community is lacking, mm-hmm. what they could use, what's gonna, what the mall in Syracuse, New York needs could be different than what the mall in um, Allentown, PA needs, just based off that's of what is in the market. So that's what we really do every time we take on these assets is that we really do a deep dive into the market talk to people, figure out, you know, hey, we don't have this. It would be a great addition. So you're seeing all these different alternative uses going into malls like entertainment, dining, hotels, casinos, even medical uses, offices. And those are just, you know, a few examples. But what really drives that is what that market needs, not so much what the mall needs, because at the end of the day, the mall needs to connect with the community it's in. And whatever that community it's in, the company that owns it needs to then figure that out and really bring it there, essentially, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah. Something, this is totally off topic, has to do with malls, but off topic is something that always amazes me is when I go to Black Friday at the mall. It just blows my mind how many people can fit in one building and from everywhere. It is just shoulder to shoulder, store lines out the store for every single spot. It's just, it's amazing. And that just goes to show again that malls aren't really that dying, so to speak, like you, like you guys mentioned. Um, I'm, I'm going to switch over into the next segment of the show before I do Camilla, is there anything else you want to touch on anything you wanted to, you know, chat on real quick before uh, moving over? Um, I think that's, that pretty much is it. I mean, that's, 
you asked a lot of great questions. Hopefully my answers are make sense to the viewers, but you know, we believe in malls. We love what we do and we love retail. I love it. That's great. So we're going to switch over to the section of the show called the curious cues. I'm going to throw some questions at you that I ask every guest. So I want to get your answer on them. All First right. question we've got for you is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to. That's such a good question. Um, I mean, the generic answer is, especially for everyone in real estate, is the Bigger Pockets podcast. Right. I, I absolutely love it. There's so many different topics they hit on that's great. Um, but then for myself personally, one of my favorite um, podcasts is actually the Abundant Life podcast because I travel so much. I'm on the road that I can't necessarily love make it. it into church every Sunday because I'm traveling. Um, typically my trips, I'll, I'll head out to New Mexico for a week and then fly out to California, stay the weekend and do, you know, my week, um, out there and then come back. So I love listening to that. There you go. And for those that aren't aware, that's where Camilla and I met at Abundant Life. That's, uh, our local church. Awesome, awesome, awesome place. And it's a real tight niche community. We've got, you know, my personal friend group is from my age, typically the lowest, all the way up to like 30 years old. We're all from different places and different walks, but we're all together. I love it. I, favorite book you got? I see you got a whole lineup behind you there, but what is your favorite one you find yourself reading? So great question. And it's funny because I believe on the Bigger Pockets podcast, they do it now. I say like excluding Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Oh yeah, so, of course. I mean, that's the, the generic one. It was a great book. Um, but for the viewers that are on right now, one of my favorite books, which is actually unrelated to real estate, is this book called The Defining Decade, Why Your 20s Matter and, and How to Make the Most of Them Now by uh, Meg Jay. She's a PhD. And this book really, really hit home with me because myself, I'm, in, I'm 23 right now. I read it when I was 21 and it really resonated that what you do in your early 20s sets up, you know, basically the future. If, you know, you aren't building, I guess, yourself and doing the right things, you're going to be in a worse position position than someone that, that was doing it. So I guess that's that's one of my favorites. And then tied into that as well is the classic Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, that book actually, I think was basically beaten into me from a young age. Um, my father, you know, was given that book when he was young and it, it really changed his life. Every time we hire someone, he, he gives them a copy of the book and has made me read it a bunch. Um, but it, it really has so many good, um, lessons and, and life changing things in there that those two combined i think if you read them and uh, apply their principles there, there's no stopping you yeah the defined decade i haven't heard of that one i'll check that out but it kind of goes to what we were talking about before we started recording you know we were just saying you know how you been you know i've just been grinding because what you do now in these you know these early ages defines the rest of your future so that's you know something we hit on i like that 100 percent. biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome hmm, biggest hurdle um I'd say two different ones. One being is not knowing what you don't know. Um, there's so many different intricacies and nuances and facets of real estate that um, it's kind of like going back to the defining decade that if you aren't doing the things and learning hard and really grinding, um, 
it won't set you up for knowing those things and being able to have intelligent conversations and basically succeed. I mean, you'll learn along the way, but unless you truly put your nose to the grindstone and, and read about it, study it, um, you won't be in the same position as someone that does. And that, that's been a big hurdle. Um, I'd say early on, um, but now I feel like I'm in a better position on that. The other one is just being able to handle rejection, right? And the leasing side of what I do is you can imagine trying to tell, ask someone if they want to open a business in a mall um, is tough. It's, it's not easy, but um, you certainly get a lot of no's, but it's just a matter of educating and then presenting a business argument that makes a lot of sense for them to ultimately, hopefully want to open up a store in our center. So it, it is hard, but it's 100% doable. We do it every day. Um, that's that's sales brother you know getting nose nose and nose i, I got the practice early on when i you know tried dating i got the nose 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 and once you finally get that yes am i right yeah yeah i mean i'm still getting them i don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> Apparently i I'm love it good. <laughs> no, i don't know you, you'll get the yes you, you're practicing <laughs> I, I another question i think i'm going to know the answer to just from knowing you for a while is what's your favorite non-real estate related hobby I'm assuming. You, so, what what do you think it is? I think you? it's uh, I think it's hitting the ball with the bat. Yeah. So yeah, baseball. Um, absolutely love it. I, I played in college, and basically, like the what I do with real estate now, eat, sleeping, and breathing it is what I do with baseball. So it was a huge right. part of my life. Love watching it now that I don't play anymore. But another interesting one is I love playing the piano. Mm. Um, I'm not amazing at it, but I'm not horrible. So it's good to, after a long days of work, basically get home and pound out a couple of songs on the piano, sing a little bit, even though it's horrendous and I don't do it in front of people. But um, yeah, I'd say those are two of my uh, favorite non-related real estate activities. For I like it. Yeah, that's something I was, I've been, you know, talking to my wife a little bit about. I was like, uh, I want to learn how to play guitar. You know, I, I started to play when I was super young and I stopped. I'd love to pick that back up and just learn how to do it. And uh, mm. speaking another language, it's something I want to learn too, is just, you know, be fluent in another language. hundred percent. I'll tell you a quick story. If we have time about the piano is that um, one time I was in uh, Pismo beach, California, staying at this really cool hotel um, for one of my business trips and, you know, had a really long day. It, it was crazy. It was good. And I get back to the hotel. It's like seven, eight at night or, or whatever it was. I was like, you know what? I got this like drink credit from signing up to stay here for the night. Like I'm going to go have a drink at the bar. So I go to this big, beautiful bar and there's like these two other guys at the bar that end up striking a conversation, talk to them. Um, and turns out they're salesmen as well. Just different. I think one guy sold cars. The other ones sold like hot tubs, like, you know, random things, but, yeah. um, had a really great conversation and turns out one of the guys ended up, being able to play the piano. I played the piano as well. And there happened to be this piano at this hotel lobby because it was like a really nice hotel, whatever. You had a piano off. No. <laughs> we literally went song for song. The whole bar was singing with us. The manager was coming over, giving us drinks. It, it was amazing. Like super That's cool. awesome. <laughs> and then, and then better yet. So night ends, it was great. Basically song for song, drink for drink. Great time. Everyone singing end up staying in the same hotel about four months later 
go no, down to the lobby like after to have a drink you'll never guess who's there it was the same guy and i was like no way like this is the first time i've stayed in the hotel since that night he's like me too and just crazy crazy how that works out so was, wow that was my fun piano story that's work related so no that that's a good one i'm hoping next year you're gonna tell me like i totally quit real estate and now we're a traveling band of piano players <laughs> <laughs> right. This, I, I might be on uh, the different side, not the podcast side, but actually like the top 10 chart and the, the Apple there Music There you go. Side. <laughs> Let's see on the Spotify top, top 10. I like it. So next question to you is newbie advice. So someone that's looking to get started in real estate, whether that's leasing or investing or even retail, what advice would you have for them? 100% great question. So I, I guess the advice I would have is you're never really going to know if you love something until you do it, mm. but going into it, make sure you're willing to at least fully commit yourself until you truly know it's not something you love or not something for you. Because real estate, and I'm sure Dante, you know, is, is not a, a nine to five job by any means. No, it's a, get, it's a get rich quick scheme, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not that by <laughs> any means. It is a, it is a grinding, um, really intense industry in all different facets of it. And the ones that succeed are the ones who are truly willing to commit themselves and, and put in that extra effort. Yep. Um, one thing we always tell our, you know, our new hires is that it's really this in the leasing side of it, at least it, it's not a nine to five job. If you're not willing to come in here and really grind to learn and understand, like it, it, you're probably, it's probably not going to work out and that's totally okay. It's not for everyone, but if you really want to start and at least figure out if it is or isn't for you, make sure you're willing to commit yourself 150% because if not, um, you, you probably won't, you know, do well in it, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that, that's some great advice. And that's being truthfully and honest about it. You know, it's mm -hmm. not this glorious, super sexy business at first. It's really just putting your nose to the grindstone kind of thing. Exactly. Last question I've got for you. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Hmm. Such a good question. I mean, it changes sometimes, but, um, you know, hopefully if, you know, everything goes to plan, which it never does, um, we really want to capitalize um, on this amazing opportunity, this transformational opportunity in the enclosed mall space currently. And fortunately, I've been on, or so fortunate to work with my dad, you know, basically side by side on this. And, you know, 10 years from now, hopefully we have a, a big owned portfolio and we're able to expand into, you know, other facets, whether it's tenant representation or syndications of other asset types, whatever the case is, um, starting some new things and, and doing some other stuff, but that's not until we really capitalize on the opportunity at hand. So however long that takes, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, we're able to execute, but down the road is, you know, building a, a hopefully a, a big Spinoso corporation and, and having a couple of different, you know, firms and groups underneath that is, is really what I hopefully see myself in 10 years doing. Awesome. Yeah, right. I love it. I love it. Camilo, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day this evening to come on the show. Definitely, Dante. It's been, it's been really a, a true pleasure. Thanks for having me on and um, look forward to getting together here soon. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. 
For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.